got my clicker, and I'm hoping things are going to work. You'll see some pictures as I go through. Um, please don't think I've got a fetish for Queen Esther, but all the pictures are from this new film that's recently come out called One Night with the King, with Omar Sharif and other actors and actresses in it. Brilliant film. I know some have seen it, but if you haven't, worth a, worth a get and to watch. I want to talk this morning about Esther and, more importantly, about the providence of God. And as you can see, the picture in front of you on the screen which I can see at the back, which is all working well, is Esther being crowned by her lord, Xerxes. But before we turn to Esther, let me take you to another favourite of mine of yesteryear. I used to love Snoopy cartoons. I don't know whether you did. And one has Lucy asking Charlie Brown as they walk along, why do you think we're put here on earth? Charlie Brown's answers, to make others happy. Lucy stops and just reflects on that for a moment. I don't think I'm making anyone very happy. Of course, nobody makes me happy either. Somebody's not doing his job. At home, she asks her brother, Linus, who's busy sucking his thumb and holding his blanket, for those of you who remember that, and he asks for his opinion. Charlie Brown says that we're put here on earth to make others happy. The very surprised Linus said... Is that why we're here? I guess I'd better start doing a better job. I'd hate to be shipped back. The exasperated Lucy goes back to Charlie Brown to check if things have changed. Charlie Brown affirms, That's right. Sensing something is wrong, Lucy finally puts the question that's still bothering her. So what are others put here for then? One life... What's it all about? In a world of billions of people, it's easy to underestimate the significance of one. There's lots of ones here this morning, upstairs and downstairs. It's easy to underestimate the significance of one. It's easy to feel powerless, isn't it? The overwhelming needs in our world. But the truth is, you are the only you in the world. God has placed you here for a purpose. One writer says this, I'm only one, let's go back a bit, I'm only one, but still I am one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do the something that I can do. You, as you sit there, are unique, and you're unique to your Lord. God has wired you differently To every other person in this church, every other person on this planet, your upbringing, your voice, your appearance, your skills, your talents, your values, your convictions, your personality, your sphere of influence, your front line, St. Matt's folks, you are the only one who can fulfill God's purposes for you. Behind every movement, political Party, battle, discovery, declaration, every accomplishment are individuals like you and like me. Think of history. History isn't it the story of individuals who've made a difference. You could list them in your mind as you sit there. Scientists, inventors, discoverers, musicians, politicians, missionaries, theologians, teachers... 
Think of Augustine and Tyndale, Luther, Calvin, Whitfield, Wesley, Edward, Spurgeon, Moody, Graham, Stott, and more recent people who've made a difference. And isn't that what we find in the scriptures? Just think of your of the Bible for a moment. It's a story of individual men, women, and children used by God to make a difference, to set the pace, maybe to intercede, to stand in the gap, and as a result, to challenge the course of history. One life. That, folks, is all we get here to serve our master. But that's all we need. The power of one. That's by way of introduction. Let me take you to the picture that I mistakenly put up earlier. There's a picture of the DVD that's come out as a film. Let's turn to Esther for a moment. If you've got a Bible in front of you, I'm going to have some verses on the screen, um, but I'm not going to read them out. They're there for you to look at if you've not got the Bible open. Page 504-ish, I think Toby said. We turn to Esther, whose story belongs to that dark period in Jewish history, when God's people were dispersed among among the Babylonian Empire. And behind the personal enmity of Haman, I wonder, do we see Satan seeking to make void the promises of God through the destruction of the entire Jewish race? I wonder. I could give you examples of the spear being thrown at David and the like. Something was afoot. And it's no coincidence that Esther, the book of Esther, is still the number one favourite story in Jewish families, so I believe. The event is retold, if I click this it should work, uh, every year during the Feast of Purim, which commemorates that first horrifying attempt at the extermination of the Jewish people and how God providentially steps in and rescues them. And there are clearly, aren't there, strong parallels, no doubt you can think of them, in the dramatic reversal of what's seen the disastrous fate of the Jews in 5th century BC and last century too. Apparently, during the Feast of Purim, in some Jewish families, children draw an H on the soles of their shoes, one for Haman, one for Hitler. That's so I'm told. The one dictator boasted that his empire stretched a thousand miles, the other that his empire would last a thousand years. But the sovereign Lord enabled the Jewish people not only to survive, but to walk over both. And history has a habit of repeating itself. Human nature is as unchanged as is the providential purposes of the God we gather to worship this morning. The God of heaven and the God of earth. And that's what the book of Esther is all about. If you haven't read it, don't just listen to chapter 4. Read the whole lot later on today. That's my challenge to you. Well, one of them anyway. One life lived knowingly in the unseen but the providential hands of God. The power of one life. What can God do with you this coming week, this coming month, I wonder? So where is Jesus in Esther, you may say? Well, the name of God, as I hinted at earlier, does not appear in the book of Esther. Yet the hand of God, you look at it, it's everywhere. He may be invisible, 
but he is nowhere near absent from the story. The story of Esther is the story of the providence of God. And what do we mean by providence? Well, looking it up, the word providence comes from the Latin provideo. The prefix pro means before, you probably gather that. And the root means I see. As the sovereign lord of the universe, God sees events before they happen. He sees the future with precise clarity because it happens and it happens and works everything in accordance to his perfect will and plan. So when things appear out of control, of course they never are in our lives. That's a joke. They are, aren't they? When things out, see, feel out of control, we were sharing, praying beforehand, how a few of us have had pretty awful weeks. Maybe you have too. But when do, things do seem out of control, or maybe God seems far away, he is there working invisibly to accomplish his will. Charles Swindle wrote these words, and you can, I'll read them through to you. Even though the seasons change dramatically, even though nations rise and fall on the world landscape, and even though economies tower to prosperity or topple to ruin, God never changes. From everlasting to everlasting, he is God and his kingdom remains unshakable. Make no mistake, God will have his way. He is God. This might not follow on, but I'm going to carry on quoting. He is God and his kingdom remains unshakable. Make no mistake, God will have his way. And Charles Swindle goes on to add, it's easy to see God in the miraculous. It's not so easy to see him in the mundane. But that's where most of us live. This is the more re- all the more reason why we need to be sensitive to his voice. So we can be attentive to the subtle ways in which he works. Though God is invisible... He is invincible. That is the message of the book of Esther. The invisible God who may appear to be absent is the invincible God who is working out his best plan. Esther could not complain about her life. When her parents died, her cousin Mordecai took care of her and kept her from trouble. She found herself as first lady, queen of the empire. And while Xerxes takes centre stage in chapter 1, Mordecai in chapter 2, Haman in chapter 3, chapter 4 is where we see the parallels between Esther and Jesus most clearly. And in the words of Mordecai to Esther, we hear afresh the challenge, I believe, that God has for you and for me this coming week, this coming month, at this point in our lives, just as he did to Esther so long ago. Do you think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape? If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but you have come to this royal position For such a time as this. 
Esther's finest hour was not ascending the throne or her luxury living or keeping herself useful and beautiful, but rather by risking her life for her people. Three things I think we can observe from Esther as we seek to know Jesus and his purpose for your life and for mine. Remember where you're from, reflect on what you know, and realise why you're here. Hopefully, if it works, that's Queen Esther, your past. Remember where you're from. And the verses in scripture should come on, there we go, there we go, verses, the first few verses in chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. I'll let you read that, or if you've got the scriptures open in front of you, you can look at them. I'm not going to read them through again. They're there for you. To her credit, Esther stayed true to her roots. Becoming the most influential woman in the empire didn't go to her head at all. She didn't forget where she'd come from. She kept up with what was happening at home. She had her ear to the ground. The news did not escape her. Putting on sackcloth was associated with death and dying, and Esther was greatly, greatly distressed by what she saw and by what she heard concerning the persecution of her fellow people. She never lost touch with her roots. So I ask, what about your Christian roots? The church in Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, if you're a Christian, that's part of your roots. In Egypt, where Jesus escaped as a refugee. In Galilee, where Jesus made his home. So would I like to make my home. In Palestine, where he revealed his glory. In Jerusalem, where Jesus died and rose again for you and me. Near Damascus, where Paul was converted. In Iraq, Iran, Jordan and Syria and Lebanon, where the early church first flourished. It should matter to us that they are persecuted because they are our brothers and sisters, our spiritual family. Let's not forget them. Firstly, your past. Remember where you are from. Secondly, if you can see that, your present reflects on what you know. And if you've got a Bible, these are the next few verses, verses 5 to 8. Again, I'm not going to read them, but do reflect upon them. When Esther heard of Mordecai's deep sorrow... She was, in verse 4, we read, great distress. I don't know what the Hebrew is there, but she was in great distress. The word there, though, describes a woman in labour and giving birth. It means, I think, to be seized with painful grief. So Esther, as we read, sent clothes to Mordecai, but he rejected them until Esther got more involved and did her part. Mordecai provoked Esther to investigate and to act. Esther could not remain passive. Are there situations you'll face this coming week where you cannot remain passive for God? You've got to act. Mordecai instructed Esther to go to the king and plead for her people, verse 8. Only she could do that. Only her. One life. With the facts before her, she had a choice. And we do too, don't we? 
to get involved where there is injustice and where the name of Jesus needs to be proclaimed and lifted high. So, your past, remember where you're from. Your present, reflect on what you know. And hopefully, even darker, your future, realise why you're here. That's verses 13 to 16, if you've got the scriptures open in front of you. Do have a look at them. I'm going to read these, because this is the crucial part of the text. Do not think that because you're in the king's house, you alone, of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, who knows, but that you've come to your royal position for such a time of this. And Esther responds. In a sense, Esther was a trophy wife. She didn't need to know much say much, or maybe even do much. Until the close of chapter 4, I think I'm right in saying she's only spoken one sentence. But now Esther's safety, notice, in the palace, is under threat. Enemies would find out about her background, and sooner or later, she would the finger would be pointed at her. A lot was at stake for her at this point, in time. Everyone associated with her was at risk as well. Mordecai did not ask Esther to do what she could not. He did not manipulate her to act. We might think he did, but he didn't. At first, it seemed that Esther was a puppet. In chapter 2, Mordecai instructed Esther not to reveal her Jewish identity. Next, we see her instructing people to pass messages to Mordecai in chapter 4. But now, she is telling her cousin what to do. She's come of age all of a sudden. She's discovered her destiny with God. Esther could could have ended up like Vashti, the previous wife, who disappeared without a word, without a trace. Her purpose in life was not to be queen, that was merely her status that we see in the scriptures. Her purpose was to glorify God, to be God's servant at this point, and to make her life count. And hopefully if I click, some more words will come up that I'm going to read to you. One writer says this, throughout the book What's happened here? That's the verse, and that's the last passage. It's not actually up there, but I'm going to read it to you. This one writer says, Throughout the book of Esther, we are encouraged to see the providential dealings of God through their gracious outcomes, the foolishness of a king, the reaction of a queen, the fear of self-seeking officials, are all revealed to be part of the great plan, the great divine plan. This writer says God is putting into place his great deliverance. He begins before anyone knows there's even a problem to be solved. And this is not the first time God has done this. 
think about the scriptures that you know. Think of Ephesians where we read, For he chose in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. That's the Lord Jesus. So God's providential redemptive act and plan revealed in Jesus preceded not just the fall, not just the creation of the world, way, way back. And a tyrant like Xerxes any more than his 21st century counterparts today, are not going to get in our God's way. God did not bring you and I into the world to live in luxury or to live solely for ourselves. I hope that's not a shock. He wants us to speak for him, to do his will, to care for others. And to make a difference where we are. As you can see on the screen, your past. Remember where you've come from. And I don't just mean Yorkshire or wherever that may be. Way back to Bethlehem. Remember your your present. Reflect on what you know. And then your future. Realise why you are here. Esther said, if I perish... I perish, verse 16. She was willing to lay down her life for her people. Jesus said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And it was done, as we know, when he willingly died in our place. What will you say to God today? Only you know in your heart how you will respond Can you make the Lord's Prayer, I wonder, your personal prayer of commitment? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then add in there, in my life, Lord, today, please. One life, that's all you and I have to live for our Lord and our Master. The great practical lesson of the book of Esther, as I finish, is the all-importance of Using God-given opportunities. We talk at some mats about our front lines. We've all got them. Where you'll be tomorrow is your front line. That's your God-given opportunity. We may be tempted to think that our opportunities are so insignificant, our circle of influence so small, that we have such little importance. If we were a great queen, like Esther... Well, then that would be a different matter, wouldn't it? But, God says to me and to you, who knows, but you have come to a royal position for such a time of this. We are children of the king, folks. God calls us to serve and follow him. When you think of Esther, remember where you are from. Reflect on what you know and realise why you are here. What I put up earlier, I close with a quote. Augustine, once advised, trust the past to God's mercy, the present to God's love, and the future, wow, the future to God's providence. May we pray as we sit.